It says, Saul said to David, you are not able to go up against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. Number one, it doesn't matter what anybody says about you or to you. It's about what the Lord says. David said to Saul, your servant was a shepherd boy from my father's flock. And the lion came and the bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I took hold of his beard, struck him and killed him. I love it. Your servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be as one of them because he has reviled the armies of the living God. These are faith verses. David said, The Lord who delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. Listen, God's listening to us. This has nothing to do with the sermon. But he, the best worship you can be in is when you just brag on God. Amen? We got to watch what we say. God's listening to what we say. And it says, and Saul said to David, after he heard that, he's like, wow, go. The Lord will be with you. Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head. He clothed him with a coat of mail. Now listen, you probably all know this story and you know this, but you got to see this picture. Saul was the tallest man in all of Israel. That's why they wanted, they picked from the outside. They didn't look at the inside. And God said, okay, you want a king? We're going to give you the best looking king, the tallest, the biggest. So here's David. It says he's young and ruddy and small. And he's got on this huge armor. You got to see this. And, he's, and, um, and he says he closed him with a coat of mail. Um, David secured his sword to his armor and tried to walk. But he was not used to it. For he had not tested or proved them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. Listen, I see in our church today, the church world in America, we're trying a lot of things that haven't been tested. We're trying all this marketing stuff, and it never worked then, and it's not going to work now. Amen? It says, um, so David took them off. It's time the church takes a lot of things off. He took his staff in his hand and chose for him Five, and this is my text, he took his staff in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones out of the brook. And they put them in his shepherd's bag, even in a pouch, and his sling was in his hand. Then he drew near the Philistine. God, we come to you in the name of Jesus and we ask you that you have your way. We pray for your anointing, God. Oh, me, your servant, let him see Jesus in him only. Lord, open our ears and our hearts and prepare it to receive from you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Put verse 40 back up. And it says, And he took his staff in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones out of the brook. I want to talk to you today about the five stones that it's going to take to beat the giant. I've never, um, you can put that down, I've never preached on this before. Um, I was driving in my car into work this week. And the Lord spoke to me clear as I'm talking to you and said the five stones. And I began to think. And I, so I asked the Lord, listen, this sermon, you could preach it a billion different times, a billion different ways. What are the five stones it takes to beat? And listen, I know the scripture. Goliath had four brothers. 
He took five stones because he was ready to take care of every part of the enemy that would rise up. And that's the mentality that we need to take. I'm not just going to beat this giant, but I'm going to beat every giant that's causing me trouble and every giant that's ready. That's the mentality that I want us to grab today, that the battle is not ours, but the Lord's. And if the Lord is fighting for us, we cannot lose. Amen. So the first stone and I'm telling you, I just laid my Bible open before the Lord and said, I need these stones. I didn't Google this. I didn't do any of that. I was like, Lord, I need you to show me what they are. What this people that are here today need to hear, including myself. The first stone, worship. David was a man of worship. I'm telling you, if we're not careful in church, as times go on and things get bad and the devil knows he's got a short time and he's attacking the membership of the church and the body of Jesus Christ, we become weary and worn down and the first thing that goes is our praise. The first thing, the first stone. David, when he was running from Saul, he had worship. When he was anointed king and everything was going good, he had worship. Every stage of his life, he knew that God was everything. Listen, there can be times in your life where you literally don't think anything is going your way, but God is still good. Doug quoted it this morning. He's great, and he's always greatly to be praised. Now, when you're on the mountaintop, woo, that's easy to worship. This morning we were singing, we shall see the king. And I'm like, Lord, I want to see you. Oh, I want to see you. It's easy in here. But it's when everything is going wrong in your family and everything is not making sense. And that's when the worship is really tested. Now, look, I get two scriptures. First, uh, put my first one up in Chronicles. This is David. He brings the ark back. He's on the mountaintop. It says, sing to the Lord, all you earth. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day, it's a daily worship that we have to be after. Amen? Declare his glory. This last couple of weeks, have you declared the glory of the Lord? Or have you declared the glory of Satan? Man, I've been under attack. Listen, I'm not looking down. I've been there. Be like, when does this stop? Ever been there? Does this ever end? No, that's declare his glory. Proclaim his glory, his wonders among the people. For great is the Lord. And great, I think that's the theme today. Greatly to be praised. Why? He's, he's to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are rocks and stones and metals. But the Lord, he made everything. That's why we got to worship him. No matter what makes sense in our life. David knew God made it all. God's plan is perfect. And I'm going to worship him. Amen. Verse 27, honor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. If we're not careful, we will let how we feel dictate the real way that it is. Because no matter what you're going through today or what you're fighting today, there is a heaven where you will see him forever. This life is temporary, but we can have the glory of heaven here in every trial, in every season. If we will choose to open our mouth and our lips and declare the glory of the Lord. This week, I'm, I was so upset with the way life was going. And I opened up the word and said, God, I want to praise you. And I need some help praising you. And I said, the Psalms are where to go. And I flipped open 
And the, I flipped right to Psalms 31. And I knew the Holy Spirit was there. And it says, my times are in your hands, for you are my God. And that was my worship that day. God, I don't care what the timetable of me is. My timetable is in your hands. If it doesn't make sense now, it's making sense to you. It's working. If I have to lay in a pit like Joseph to become a prince one day, I trust the times of my life are in your hands. Amen. That's not just something special for preachers. You're, I'm telling you, if you want to learn how to worship, read the Psalms. I can't tell you the times. We sang that song today. You have made me glad. That is straight scripture. You ever been in a heavy season and he made you glad? He set your feet on a broad place, a wide open. You thought you were going down into the pit. And he, next thing you know, he's blessed you. Let's proclaim. Remember what David said, the worship of David. God, there was a lion that came. It should have killed me, but it didn't. There was a bear that came. And that bear looked incredibly big, but it didn't kill me. Some of you shouldn't be here today. Some of you should not be here today. But because of the Lord who is on your side, you have showed every line and every bear and every... Brother Davis, you feel me, brother? Hallelujah. So good to see him. He showed us Amen. that he's, we always triumph in Christ Jesus. Always. I'm, feel, I'm telling you all, this is amazing. So Genesis 13, I didn't give JT. I want to talk to you about Genesis 13 real quick. God calls a man named Abram to a distant place. And some of you teachers probably could do this a lot better than me. He says, Abram, I want you to leave. Now that's exciting. I'll be honest with you. I've heard people say, well, he had to leave to a strange place. Wouldn't some of you be happy if God said, hey, I need you to head towards Hawaii. Get out of Mount Olive, head towards Hawaii. All of us would be like, yeah, God's good. Hallelujah. And all of a sudden in Genesis 13, he's been traveling. He's been meeting. And it says in Genesis 13, I, I'm so thankful for the scriptures. It says he came back to Bethel, the same place he started. Get where I'm going? Some of you have been in church a long time. And you thought when God first called you and saved you, you would be way in Hawaii. And the next thing you know, after years and years and years, you're in the same place. And you've done nothing but a circle. It seems like. I love it. It says in Abram in 13, when he came to the same place, he built an altar and he worshiped. If you're in a season of going around the mountain, I'm telling you the way to get out of it is you're like, what am I doing here? I thought that sin that God freed me from, why is it back in my life? Oh, I know. We don't want to talk about sin. Everybody's sin free in here. I got it. We're human. You ever, yeah, just in case. Thank you, Pastor. You ever had that happen? You ever got victory over your tongue? And you're like, man, God delivered me from my tongue, my own mouth that can kill me. And the next thing you know, you're gossiping more than you did years ago. You're like, how did I get here? Why am I in this same battle? And Abraham, 
The reason that he was the friend of God, he realized why David, the same way he was the man after God's heart, he worshiped. He had no answers. He did not know the next step. But he said, I'm going to worship. If you're here today and you're not sure where the next step is, the answer is worship. Build you an altar and begin to think about God and his goodness. Amen. I challenge you to take some time this week. Read Genesis 13, 12 and 13. Look at how awesome it is. The second stone. I've got to lose about 100 pounds and I can really preach. I'm just saying. I don't know if you guys know who John Gray is. He came to Highlands Wednesday night, and I was watching, and he said he's lost 70 pounds. He was a big dude. And he said, I just decided I'm not going to let the devil kill me with my own mouth. What I eat. And so you got to know him. He's hilarious. So I thought, man, I need to take that word to heart. Hebrews, the second stone is the word of God. So the first stone we got to have in our arsenal to beat every giant we face is worship. The second stone we have to have is the word. There has to be, you listen to me, there has to be time in your life daily. You know, and I know you probably hear this, and the, the thing that I love almost the most about my wife is every single morning and every single night she spends time with this. I can't tell you the times that we would be in the middle of a movie at night. And she would say, well, I'm going to go ahead and go upstairs. I'm like, what? We're in the middle. Because this is the most important thing to her. More important than anything else. I'm just telling you. And listen, it, it convicts me sometimes. Look, at, look at, I want to show you a couple of benefits from the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12. For the Word of God is alive. When I said earlier, I opened it up and said, God, I need some worship. It was alive. It was a now word for me. It was a word of, hey, my times are really in his hands. Amen? And it tells you things like, it's alive, and it tells you things like this. Even though you failed, the righteous man has fallen down seven times, but he keeps getting up. It's not the falling, it's the getting up. See, if you're not reading your Bible, you'll become so discouraged with who you really are because you know who you really are that you won't, there's hope in the word. It's alive. It'll speak to you. I've noticed something that, listen, there was a movement in the Pentecostal church that became, I call it, spit it and get it, blab it and grab it. And it was claiming Cadillacs and claiming all this stuff. And so we all ran away from it because it was weird. But let me tell you, there's something really good in the center of that. You have to speak the word of God. Let me tell you something. When we couldn't get pregnant the other night even, I was talking to Bethany. I kept quoting the scripture that hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's a scripture, right? And I kept saying, that's why our hearts are sick, because our hope is deferred. And I was like, yes. And the Lord told me, go read that verse. And I was like, okay. That ain't all the verse. It says, but when it comes, the desire comes, it's a spring of life. And I told her, I just begin to speak over our house. When it comes, it will be a spring of life. Instead of the negative part of the verse, the positive side of the verse. 
The power of the alive word of God. It's at our disposal. It's the sword of the spirit. He will cut the enemy off you and every trial and every battle and every friend. You can declare the word of God over every circumstance because it is alive. Because the word has a name and the name above every name is Jesus Christ. He became flesh and dwelt among us. It's not a dead letter. It's a person. I was praying one day about five years ago and I said, Lord, I want to know you. I don't want to preach about you. I want to know you. And he said, get in my word. The only way, I don't know why I'd never thought of that. The only thing I can know about Jesus Christ is that word. It's the only way I know his character. I know his personality. I know who he is only by the word. That's what's wrong with a lot of Christians. They serve a make-believe Jesus that doesn't exist because it's not founded on who he is, the word. Amen. It's alive. It will cut you. It'll cut the dead things out of your life. That's why we're not rebuked and repent all the time. We're not reading the Bible. He will cut you in a great way. He's, the word of God is not a hatchet. It is a fine, delicate instrument that will precisely cut the bad and keep the good. Preachers sometimes get up there and start hacking on the body of Christ. And I'm thinking... We're barely making it as we, you know, thank God it's not here. But I hear a lot of preachers. It's all condemnation. Just beating people with a hatchet. People are like, I can't live up to that standard. Listen, the word of God, when it's preached right, it'll convict you, but it'll cut that bad away. And you know what it really leaves? The word, Jesus. You die and he lives. Amen? Show you a couple more scriptures. We're going to get through all five. I'm cooking now. Psalms 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light into my path. How many times do we quote this when we really need direction, but we don't quote this in our everyday life? Maybe you need the direction because you haven't been using it on a daily basis and you've wondered wherever you've wondered to. Listen, the word has to become a staple in every believer's heart. I noticed something about myself. I study the Bible a whole lot more when I'm about to preach than I do when I'm not. Let's just be honest. I'm here. A lot of teachers in this room, a lot of preachers in this room. It's time to preach on Sunday morning. This whole week, it's like, I'm not watching ESPN, Lord. I'm getting in the Word. I don't want to look dumb up there. But I want to love the Word that it doesn't matter preach or no preach. That the word's that precious to me. Amen? It, it'll lead you. If you're, in, if you're in search of guidance today, get along with this and ask the Lord to talk to you. I, I hear people say sometimes, I don't even understand the Bible. First thing you got to do before you just dive in, you got to spend some time worshiping. You got to spend some time getting, asking God to forgive you. Then you got to spend some time asking him to talk to you. He is faithful. He'll talk to you through this. You know what's awesome about this? I've seen men give words to people. I, I saw a guy one time tell a guy, you're going to quit your job and go into chiropractor, be a chiropractor. And I died laughing. Because I was like, what? That's not God. If God wants him to be a chiropractor, God's pretty big. He'll tell him. He's a big God. He's got it. But so you hear all these weird words and all this weird stuff. Listen, get right here. 
when God called me to preach, and I tell every young minister here, when, when you're called to preach, he will confirm it right here. He spoke to me that I'm called to preach. He confirmed it through a scripture. I've got a set of scriptures that I go to every time I begin to doubt my call. And every minister doubts their call. And I go to Ezekiel chapter 2 and I see that's my calling. I remember when he led it to me. I remember when he called me. And I go there and I stay there. And guess what? Was it confirmed through men like Brother Abrams and all them? Sure it was. I went, when I was young, I remember every service I went to revival, you can ask my dad, they would call me on the stage and they would prophesy over me. The ministry, yeah, it was all confirmed. But none of that mattered because I had my word. Amen? First Peter 2.2. 2. As newborn babies, desire the pure milk of the word that by it you may grow. I'm scared to think about how many people have been serving the Lord for 10, 15, 20 years and they've never gotten enough milk to grow to meat. They can't even talk about the doctrines in Hebrews of laying on of hands and the raising of the dead. Well, I don't really believe that. I know you don't because nobody's pressing into that level. I get it. I know why you don't believe that. But it's right there in the New Testament. There's a doctrine of laying on of hands. There's something that happens. He said, stir up the gift that's in you by the laying on of my hands. You can impart spiritual gifts by the laying on of hands. Amen. People start getting weird right here. They're like, whoa, we're kind of going off into the weird. No, we're going off into the Bible. You want to talk about the gift of prophecy and the words of knowledge? They're, we always think they're for the edifying of the body here, and they are. It's scripture. But you read the book of Acts. Those gifts were enacted in the world, and when they were enacted in the world, non-believers came to Jesus Christ because of word of knowledge. Because you look at your coworker and say, hey, I woke up this morning. I don't know what's going on in your life, but the Lord told me to pray for you, and he told me you're going to be okay. Happened to me two weeks ago. I, I sent a message to this girl. And I thought, oh man, I hope. I worked with her at Gardner. I was like, she said, I am at my desk. Her response, weeping because I told God driving into work today, I don't know what to do. The word of knowledge, the power of the Holy Spirit in the believer. We have to get, yes, if you're a new believer, you better crave the Bible, okay? You better get that sincere milk and you better drink it and it's good and you better grow and love. But there's a time where you got to put the bottle down. If you've been in here a long time, you got to get to the meat. You got to get to see it goes beyond you. When that baby is in, it can't eat on its own, it can't help anybody. There's a time where we got to get to stake so that we can help other people. You know why ministers are quitting all the time? Because they're propping bottles in all the new believers like this. And there's nobody that's, there's people that have been in church 10 years still wanting their bottle. Where's my word, pastor? You didn't visit me, pastor. Well, why are you not visiting people? How long have you been here? Now get your bottle and put your little diaper on. And we'll just keep feeding you and feeding you. And you'll be the same one that says, well, nobody ever wants to use me at that church. We don't use babies. You put a novice into position and they're puffed up and destroyed by Satan. That's scripture. You can't put a baby in a position. They'll mess everything up. 
Told y'all it wasn't going to be hard today, but I, that was kind of hard, I know. As Caleb said, I'm not going to apologize. He got all over me Sunday night. Listen, let's go deep. If you're a new believer, enjoy the sincere milk of the word. It's good. The Bible actually says you can taste and see that he is good. Amen. See, I swung that to a positive note. Everybody's happy. 2 Samuel 22. And I'm just going to beat the same point, but as for God, his way is perfect. You might not need this scripture right now in your life. If you serve the Lord long enough, there'll be a time where you need that. God, your way is perfect. God, I, you anointed me king, back to David. I didn't ask to be king. I was happy sitting with the few sheep, as my brother says. Come on. Just singing to you. You anointed me king, God. Not me. And now for 10 years, I am running for my life. God's way is perfect. If it doesn't make sense, it's perfect. Family members pass away. Things bad happen. You need to trust me. God's way is perfect. First of all, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. We look at death wrong. Amen? But when bad things happen, we begin to question. Listen, that's human. But when you get to that place where you're questioning, teetering, go back to that scripture. God's way is perfect. And then he says, and the word of the Lord is proven. This ain't some experiment. This has been tested since the beginning of time. It's always true. It's forever established. Everything about it is truth, and it will stand. And when everything else on this earth burns away in fire, the word of the Lord is still standing and it'll still be true. And I didn't put this in my notes, but the saddest thing is every person in this room will be judged by this word. You better know what it says. When you read something about the way you're supposed to love your enemies, you don't flip to the next page. You start praying, God, help me to love my enemies. And then he reminds you that you were an enemy of his and he died for you. He doesn't beat you with a ball bat. He corrects you and begins to bring correction and it's a good correction. Amen? Amen. All right, that's two. Let's go to the third one. This is a tough one right here. The third stone of fasting. And the Lord, I've been wanting to teach on fasting for a while. And so he gave me this. I want you to see David's life two times. Uh, I think it's 2 Samuel, correct? Look at this. A couple of verses. Then Nathan went to his house. The Lord struck the child that the wife of Uriah had born for David, and he became sick. David entreated God on behalf of the child. He fasted for a period. Okay? I'm going somewhere. Stay with me. Psalms 35, 13 and 14. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothes were sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayers returned to my own heart. I want you to see two things about King David. Listen, stay with me. I want you to see two things. In adversity, 
When it came and it was serious, he fasted. When it was life or death, he fasted, right? When his friends were life or death situations, he fasted. You can put that down. He fasted. There is a mighty weapon that God has given us to fast. I thought about when we first came to this church. Pastor never told me and I never told him until it was almost over at the end. One night at three o'clock in the morning, he woke me up and said, I want you to fast the next five days as the church was growing. Well, I didn't know it. He was already in a 12-day fast. God called us to fast. He called us to deny ourselves. Every time I dated the wrong girl, just let's hold up and let's go here. My mom knew that she could get the wrong girl out of my life. She fasted. She knew she could fast the wrong mate right out of my life. You can ask her. She knew fasting was it. Nana would call me, hey, I'm not eating lunch for the next few days. And I pretty much knew that girl's gone. She's not going to make it. She's not making the cut. Now, mom's, mom's blood sugar's weird. She can't fast a whole day, okay? But she can fast lunch for a week. She says, no lunch for a week. I'm, it's not about the meals or the days. It's about your heart being so humble and saying, God, I want you to move more than I want food. And let me tell you, it's supernatural. Some of you are like, well, you're big. You don't fast. Yeah, we fast, but then the next day we double it up. <laughs> we hit the buffet to make sure we're carved up. I'm telling you, I've seen it in my own life, fasting, how powerful it is. Matthew 6, 16 through 18. Isn't it funny how the truth just makes us laugh? For when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites. And all he's, Jesus is saying right here is, your father will see you fast in secret, and he will bless you openly. He will bless you. Don't fast and let everybody know. Don't be like, man, this is so tough. You know, I, I saw a post the other day from a friend of mine at Alabama Power. You can put this down. She said, it's funny to me that every church in Alabama is doing a 21-day fast, but they haven't stopped cussing and they haven't stopped fornicating and they haven't stopped doing anything different, but they make sure to tell everybody they're on a 21-day fast. We'll just sit right there for a while. Does God call churches to fast? Absolutely. It's called a solemn assembly. It's in Joel chapter 2. It's biblical. But fasting cannot become hipster. It can't become this thing that everybody sees and knows. And listen, fasting as a church together, it's great. But if you're fasting, there should be some spiritual changes there. I know people right now that I, I know personally that will cuss you out if you mess with them, but they will be glad to tell you that they're on a 21-day Daniel fast in January. I thought, man, you're just denying yourself food. That ain't a fast to God. That's just craziness. Fast have purpose. Fast don't exalt you. Look, look at these next two scriptures, and I'm serious. If I've made you mad about fasting over the 21-day stuff, you, just come back to me. Isaiah 58. He says, why have we fasted and you do not see? This is what they're saying to God. Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no notice? Certainly on the day of your fast, you find your desire and exacting all of your labors. Certainly you fast for strife, debate, and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You do not fast as you do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. Now look at this. Verse 5. Is it such a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to humble himself? What's about fasting? To bow our head down, to spread sackcloth and ashes. Will you call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? Now 6. 
is not the fast that I have chosen. What does fasting do? It looses the bonds of wickedness. It undoes heavy burdens. It lets the oppressed go free. Look, it it gets us out. Verse 7, I don't know if I gave it to you. It takes us beyond us and we actually understand again that this church at Evangel is not about the four walls, but it's about making sure that people outside the four walls have what they need because we are the instrument that God has chose for our community. I can't tell you the times in the last 17 years that I would wake up and God would lead me to this scripture and I would know that day I was supposed to fast over something in my life that has me bound. Some of you need to fast over your cell phone. Not fasting your cell phone, fasting the food, and actually fasting the phone at the same time. It's got a bondage on your hand. You can't go without looking at it. And you don't even pray like you should or read like you should because there's bondage in your life that you can't shake. And if you'll be honest, God, if you'll fast before him, he'll free you. He'll break the chains of wickedness. Not just on you. I've seen other people fast for other people to get saved, to get healed. My dad got saved because my grandmother for years missed lunch. She didn't tell anybody why she was doing it. She told us later that my dad came to the Lord because she fasted lunch every day for him. That is a biblical principle. If you have a sin in your life that you can't seem to get free from, maybe God sent me today to tell you one of the stones that beats the giant is a fast. Amen? Now, before camp, we do a two-week fast from television and social media and stuff like that. And that's good. I'm not saying that. But a real fast is denying that food. That's what real you really want. Cut it off. Cut it off. And begin to fast. I've never seen a church take off that God didn't start dealing with their people about fasting and praying. Now, when I start to fast, I try to keep myself as busy as possible that day. And then prayer comes after the carbs come back to my brain. And maybe you can fast and pray. A lot of you work jobs that are high paced and you work jobs where you need. Like I thought about Dale taking in 30-foot poles and back lots of Mountain Brook. Fasting might not be the best thing for him right then, okay? God, God has, God's love is, it's all out of love. Let me show you the last. So the, the, so the first real way fasting works is to break bonds. One of, the, one of the craziest things that happened to me in the last few weeks is the person doesn't even know I know this, but there, there are people around me in Bethany that have started to fast for us to get pregnant. They don't even know. I, they had no clue I know. They've started laying down their meals so that me and Bethany can have something. That wrecked me. I thought, man, now it's my time, remember putting on your big boy pants and eating meat, to start taking some of your family members and denying my meals for your family. Amen? So to loose the band of wickedness, the second is Ezra 8, 21. It says, And Ezra proclaimed to fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before God to seek from Him a good route for us and our little ones and our substance. There's a fast for direction. It's biblical. It's right there. There's some times that you need to get with your family and circle up and say, we need to fast for the next decision. It might be a meal. 
It might be every Wednesday I'm going to fast lunch. God will let you know all that stuff. But there's a fast for direction. Amen? So if you need direction in here, if you're you're looking for new jobs and new things that are really life-altering decisions, deny your food a little bit on it. You'll see, God, I can't, I cannot describe to you how, how the word of God jumps out to me. Jesus said, I have food to eat that you know not of. But the food that I'm eating is spiritual, my Father's will. I'm telling you, the reason sometimes the Bible doesn't make sense to us, there's something about when you've, you're fasting and you begin to read this, it just feeds you. Your flesh man's denied, but your spirit man grows. He gives you direction. Okay, so we're done with fasting. All you can relax. Got plenty of time. That's five minutes fast, he said. The fourth stone, prayer. That sounds like an obvious one, right? Do you know that they did a study and it shows that, I don't know what that is. They did a study that shows that the average preacher prays five minutes a week. The church members are super spiritual. The average church member prays two minutes a week. I don't really believe that. I do. Look how powerless our services are. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> when, when people can't discern who they should hang out with and who they shouldn't hang out with, there's a lack of prayer there. The Holy Spirit will keep people away from you that you don't need in your life. The Holy Spirit will lead you to who's got the goods and who's fake. I start seeing people hang out with a bunch of fake people, and I'm like, ooh, prayer not there because God will speak loud. Amen. I knew y'all didn't like prayer. 1 John 5.14 First thing you need to know about prayer, this is the confidence that we have in him, not us, that if we ask anything according to his will, he does hear us. So the next time you pray this week, you listen to me. I'm going to wake us back up. I'm about to make us start doing jumping jacks. It's raining out there and everybody's got that chicken on their mind and a nap. The next time you pray, you have confidence that he is hearing you when you're praying his will. We don't have confidence in our ability We don't have confidence whether we've done everything exactly right. Our confidence is in him and his righteousness. And if we will call to him, he hears and he will move and he will answer. And all of a sudden we go from just praying to the wall like, well, God, I hope you can help me. Maybe if you want to No, when you pray, you have the full confidence that God hears you and that God will move in every situation, in every life. God will bless you sometimes with things you don't even deserve because it's always about him. God, I want you, I want more of you. What a prayer that I used to hear. I want to know you more. David said, show me your ways and I'll walk with you. I don't see that in the church anymore. I see we're going to do our own thing, God. And when we come, we're going to put a little sticker on the wall chart and say, yeah, all right, we attended service. Great. There's not a prayer and a desire anymore. God, show me how you're walking. Show me where you're going. I want to walk with you. I don't want to visit with you on Sundays. I want to be with you. 
Me and Jess used to hate the weekends because we could only see Nan and Papa on the weekends. We had to go back to school with Mom. We wanted to be with them all the time. Partly because we knew we could go to Walmart and get anything we wanted. <laughs> we wanted because we loved them. If we love the Lord, we don't want to just hang with him on a weekend. We want to be close to him. It's time that members begin to lay hands on members and see deliverance. Amen. We, when we pray, we have a confidence that he hears us. If you've got a family member that's not saved, you are asking his will to save them because he wishes that none perish but all come to repentance. So pray. For that family member. I found out usually the worse they look like they're not coming to Christ, that's the best one. Because the wages of sin are death, and the deeper they are into sin, the more death is in their life. Amen. James 5, 13 through 18. Everybody knows these. Is any among you suffering? What do we do if we suffer? Don't call 40 people. Don't even call your best friend sometimes. Pray. If you're suffering in a season, the answer in the word of God for you is pray. Tell the Lord about him. Cast your cares on him and your suffering because he cares. Amen. It says, let him sing songs if he's, is anyone merry? Let him sing. I love that. Verse 14. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them do what? Pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith, not just the prayer, it's got to be done that he's here and in confidence that it's all about him will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed any sin, God's so good, he'll forgive him. Now look, confess your faults one to another and do what? I'm scared to death to tell people my faults in church. It'll be everywhere. When somebody tells you a fault... Pray for them. Don't go tell five people. Thanks, Hoss. <laughs> There's power when somebody humbles themselves and confesses their faults to you. When you go home and pray for them, the Bible promises that they can be healed because sin is a sickness. Yeah. Amen? And it says the effect fervent. I wonder sometimes if our prayers are not answered up here when people come because there's not fervency. We're just going to sit here for a second. I wonder if sometimes we come up here and say, we need, Brother David needs prayer. And we say, Lord, just bless him. Bless him, Lord. You're going to be okay, buddy. We walk away. There's no fervency. There's no brother David has a need, God. He's, oh, we know you're good. We need you to move. We don't just need you. We want you to move. Yeah. It's our desire and our petition that you bless our brother. Amen. I wonder if our fervency would come back. I wonder how many miracles we would see in the church. True. I wonder how many families would be restored. Amen. Amen. It says, but the prayer of the righteous man accomplishes much. And I'm so thankful it doesn't stop there and it goes to the next one. Elijah was a man subject to natural passions as we are. And he prayed and God moved. 
You don't have to be super holy to come up here and pray. Elijah had the same everyday passions that we all have. And when he prayed, he prayed the word and God answered. You don't have to be a super Christian with a cape to come up here and God to use you. You just have to have effectual fervency in your heart and the love of God in your heart. And all you got to do is pray. He knows all of our weaknesses, all of our failures. I'm telling you, you've got a list in your brain of when, you should, when God's going to answer and when he's not. Well, I kind of know this week how I've been living. I don't know if I should walk down there and pray for so-and-so. See, you're operating out of your righteousness right there. I found out some of my worst weeks. God did the most when I prayed for people because you know why? I walked up there and said, God, if you don't do this, it ain't getting done. Isn't that the attitude we should always have? Well, I've read and prayed this week. I feel pretty good with you, Lord. Let's start praying for people. And nothing happens. Because we have a list populated of when God will answer and how he'll answer. Throw all that in the garbage can. When I ask my dad for something, he doesn't go through a list. He could remind me of all the cars I totaled. And he could remind me of all the money I've costed. He doesn't go through the list. He might even in his mind, but he don't tell me. (laughs) Right? He doesn't populate the list. Well, he didn't call me any this week, and now he wants something. He doesn't think like that. God's, if that's what man thinks, compared to the goodness of the Father, he said that kind of love is evil, compared to how good God's love is. So start walking down here. You could be the very key to revival that's going to set somebody free. Oh, this last one. I promise you, Never in a million years would I have put this one on a list if I was just going, you know, pray, read your Bible, witness. We'd have gone through the generic stuff, which is all important. The fifth one was forgiveness. If you're going to take down the giants in your life, you got to forgive. You hear what I'm telling you? It's the most powerful weapon we have. I'm telling you. David... You might read the story a little different than me, but I'm, I'm telling you, when I read the story of David, this guy's dad, when Samuel came and said, the king's in your house, he was like, yeah. And he brought everybody but David. Now, look, if, if that was me, okay? If that was me, and I'm just going to say me, and I'm not going to say if that was some of you, Your next 20 years of your life would be about how my daddy didn't even pick me and how my daddy didn't even think I was important and how my daddy, and all this unforgiveness and all this stuff would just dominate your life. And you see in David, because he had been worshiping, because he had been praying, because he had been reading, because he had been fasting, when it happened, he didn't care less. He knew who he was in God, and he loved his family. How was the younger David? Well, let's see how the older David did. I'll show you. A man named Saul chased him his whole life. You know what happened to you when you became king and the old king chased you your whole life? You killed their whole family so they couldn't come back and hurt you. That's the biblical principle there. Kill them all. 
that wipe out their whole house so they can't come back. And David said, is there any in Saul's house? This man that caused me to be in the cave for 10 years, is there any in Saul's house that I can show favor to? And they said, yeah, he's got a son named Mephibosheth that's lame. And David said, bring him to my house, put him at my table, and feed him always. And I will take care of him. There's a great sermon in that. We all come to the king's table and nobody can tell that we're lame in sickness and sin. Nobody can see our imperfections when we're at the table of the king. They couldn't tell any difference about him. And David had a heart of forgiveness. I'm scared sometimes to think about if I got put in some of these situations I read, how would I have reacted? Hopefully I'd have the Lord in my life and hopefully the Lord would make me make the right decision. But we, we have to, as a people, forgive. It's a stone that the devil can't do anything with. They are banking stones off of Stephen's skull to kill him and murder him, the first martyr after Christ. And he looks up and says, God, don't even lay it to their charge. He's in a different love. The devil can't do anything with forgiveness. What do you do with that? They are pouncing stones off of him. And he's saying, don't forgive him. And then he says what I love. It gets me so happy. He says, I see the son of man standing at the right hand of the father. He wasn't seated like he was supposed to be. He stood because forgiveness will move the heart of God. I'm telling you, I don't care what's been done to you and what's wrong been done to you. Get that love of God in your heart and drive out all that garbage. Let, it, let the word kill it and defeat it and show love. Love wins. Jesus, the example. Father, just forgive them. I'm not laying it to their charge. We, we lay the pettiest things to people's charge. We won't even talk to people because something they said or did. Wasn't even to us. Well, you know how they are. No, I really don't. Neither do you. <laughs> you catch me in the wrong week, I might act weird. You look, well, he's just young. No, I know a lot of old people. We catch them in the wrong week. That's why we're tender hearted. Forgiving one another because you don't know what season somebody's in. I, guys are big babies a lot of times when we get sick where women just seem to do it. Amen. I'm okay with it. You catch me when I'm sick sometimes with sinuses, I'm as ill as a hornet. I'm just being honest. I've learned that and I try to keep myself away from people. You know, where Bethany can have all kinds of things wrong with her. She's doing laundry. She's running around. I'm like, how are you doing that? Because men are babies, I learned. So... Hebrew, I'm okay with it. Hebrews 12, look at, look at this. This is the scripture the Lord laid on my heart. Pursue peace. And I got a question. Do you pursue peace in every situation? Or do you pursue drama? And holiness. Oh, man. Not even going to preach on that, Brother Doug. I'm, I'm telling you something. Legalism and holiness are two totally different things. Holiness is I deny myself things because I love him. Not to earn him, not to do anything. I deny anything in my life.
that displeases the Lord because I love him. Legalism is you do all these things thinking you're earning him. It's totally different. Keep going. Watching diligently so that no one falls short of the grace of God, lest any root. Everybody say root with me so I know you're awake. It doesn't say roots. One root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble, and many become defiled by it. Now, this is a great translation because it's telling you something. If you don't deal with that root of offense that comes in your heart, not only will you be defiled and troubled, everybody around you, that root will flow over into their life and people will begin to eat the fruit of your life, which is bitterness. And you'll sow discord among the brethren and you'll tear people apart and it'll, it'll defile so many people. They won't even be serving God anymore because they'll be like, everybody in the church is a hypocrite and everybody up there is this. And it's the same garbage and it all comes from a single root of offense that people would not deal with. Amen. We let that one thing that is so small become so large. Listen, I've preached on fasting. You guys looked at me the same way you do as bitterness. It's cool. I'm there. I told Caleb the other night, I said, man, I've preached to the same church for 17 years. and They know all my stories. They know everything about me. Thank God they didn't throw me out. I said, maybe I need to start throwing in a baby like you do to get them fired up. <laughs> baby, you better look out. I said, maybe I can get people moving a little bit. It, it's... If you don't practice the four other stones, you cannot get this stone. You listen to me. You don't just wake up and an offense comes. You say, oh, I'll just throw that off. You have to be with Christ to throw it off. You have to have that word. You have to have that prayer. You have to have all those things going in your life because the eternal perspective shows you. See, when we're not in the right spirit of prayer, we see ourselves way bigger and more important than we really are. Why do you think every epistle he wrote, tell them not to think more highly of their self than they ought to? Right. Sounds like it's a human problem all the way back in Paul's day. Yeah. If we're not praying and seeing that we're servants, the greatest among us is a servant, you can't offend a servant. Right? If you're a servant, you can't offend. Go over there. Well, he got kind of loud with me. You're a servant. And all of a sudden, we get so big and important to ourselves that the offense comes so great. But when we're praying, we see how small the offense really is. Right? Last scripture. Put my last one up in Ephesians. Let all bitterness. I want to show you something. There's a pattern here. If you don't deal with the bitterness, wrath and anger are right around the corner. You listen to me. There's a reason he listed it this way. You let that little bitterness get in you and start to go. The anger will begin to come. And with the anger will become rage. And it'll take you down a path you never thought you would be down. Look, outburst, blasphemies, malice. Let it all be taken away from you. Paul wrote to him, today, let all that be taken away from you. Let it all be taken away. 
Amen? Everybody stand. Everything David did, he inquired of the Lord. It's not even 12 o'clock yet. I want us to take a second. I, I'm, I'm, God gives me a lot of sermons through the years. Very few times has he spoke so specific to me, the five stones. I mean, he's like I'm riding in the truck, the car, and he says the five stones. And I'm like, five stones. And then you know how the Holy Spirit does. You begin to run through your mind what he's saying about David and those five stones. And he began to give me all five of these points. It's not about the job that the man does. It's about the seed that was thrown. Today it's about this seed. God God gave us seed to grow by today. And he said some people are going to receive it. Some people, all they're thinking about is leaving. The devil's going to come as soon as they get in their car. The devil's going to come and steal it. Some people are going to hear it and they're going to be happy about it and then pretty much not going to do anything and change. The cares of this life will choke it out. But then there's that seed that falls on good ground and it brings forth fruit. I want to see us be a victorious church. It's not because of you, it's because of him. David did not win the battle over the giant because he was a great warrior. And listen, he was a great warrior. But you got to read what he says. The deliverance is going to come from the Lord. He knew that if the Lord didn't lead that stone right in between his eyes, that it wasn't going to happen. It's the same with you today. If you're going to live a successful Christian life, it's going to have to be a dependence on God and God alone. And you're going to have to put these stones in your pouch. You're going to have to keep them in your pouch. You can't just visit the Word of God when you need Him. You've got to make the Word of God and prayer a staple of your life. What if you're not? God's easy. You go to Him and say, help me pray. Oh, that's deep. No. God, I need to pray more. Help me. The disciples even teach me how to pray. Prayer and the Word goes so good together. Because a lot of times when I don't know how to pray, I just start flipping open the Bible and praying, and then He usually leads me right where I need, and I can just start praying the Scriptures. You might think I'm crazy, but I'm telling you, reading the Bible out loud where you can hear it, faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. In that break room, I'm sure people that walked by that closed door thought I was nuts. When I had both of my hands up at that table, that break room said, my times are in your hands, for you are my God. It did something for me to hear it. Today, God wants you to slay the giants. David didn't just kill the giant for him. He really could have gone back to his life and never worried about the giant. Look at all the people that got the victory and rejoicing because David dealt with the giant. It will impact everybody around you if you'll get these stones in your life. Amen.